you've never heard before. I'm going to, pastor's been talking about fear the last four or five weeks. So I'm going to talk about fear as a change agent in your life. Fear can be a very positive thing. As I look back over my life, I came up with a couple, a person in our little village in Germany, 17 years in a concentration camp in Siberia. 10,000 went in. When it was finally released that the Soviets were keeping Germans in Siberia and were killing them and starving them to death, only 100 came out. You can imagine the fear that went on for 17 years with this fellow. When B and I were going together, we, way back in the Dark Ages, <laughs> when dinosaurs roamed the earth, up in uh, Minnesota, we were in the North Central Air Defense Sector. And there was still a couple of old pilots from World War II hanging around, ready to retire. And one of them, his name was Squadron Leader Brophy, had an impact on me especially. He was a tail gunner in a bomber. And the, the Canadian version, I don't know whether they were in a bubble either underneath the aircraft or on top, I forget which. And you went up into the turret and you locked yourself in. Well, they're doing their bombing run and he feels a jostle. He looks out and there are parachutes all around him. His whole group in the plane is bailing out. Well, he figures he better get out if the whole group is bailing out. So he goes to turn the turret where he's locked in, and it's frozen. He can't get out. He kicks at it. He screams at it. He goes over the intercom, and there's no answer. So there he is locked into the turret, as the aircraft slowly descends and crashes into a German forest. Both these guys had their whole lives changed by this moment of fear. When I went to prison and war camp school, the leader of the camp was betrayed by an American and had to go through the famous rope torture in North Vietnam. And you can imagine the fear that he had. So fear is a very, very strong impact on my life. And knowing these people has made an impact. There was another group of people that fear had a big impact on. 
And that was the apostles. So let's turn to John chapter 14. And we'll just go verse by verse. And uh, Pastor, when it's, give me the high sign when you want me to quit. In chapter 14, 15, and 16, Christ is trying to prepare the apostles for the crucifixion. And they have no idea what's going to happen. As a matter of fact, we're going to find out that they don't even believe what he says. And you probably never had this chapter taught that way. But we're... So uh, I like to do the old-fashioned way, which is I'll read it and I have you respond back to me. Uh, the reason I like to do that is because it engages all your senses, your eyes, your tongue, and your memory. So, Brother Randy, yes, sir. will you lead the response back? Okay, I'll, I'll say it and then. So chapter 14, verse 1a. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Okay, so Christ is going to trying to prepare, remember the background, his group of followers for what's about to happen. And the first words out of his mouth are to try and lift them up and try to give them something positive to think about. Let not your heart be troubled. Now, me, as a human being, guess what? As soon as somebody tells me, hey, don't worry about it, what do I do? I worry about it. (laughs) What are you telling me? My whole life is going to be turned upside down? This nice, comfortable, middle-class life that I have is going to run into trouble? That gets me worried. Were the apostles thinking of that? Well, I think they were, and I'll show you in a minute why I think that. So let's do now verse 14b. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. So here I believe that the Lord knows that they're going to doubt him. So he wants to make it absolutely sure that they understand that he, as the Son of God, speaks for God. But it comes in the form of a plea, kind of. They've been with him for three and a half years. They've heard him teach on this subject dozens of times. Why don't they get it? Why does he have to restate it? Well, I believe because the Lord knows the thoughts of our, even our minds before we speak them. So <clears throat> he responds, gives him a little bit of a positive statement, and then a strong statement of belief for them to hang on to. Okay. Then he backs it up. Verse 2. So let's read that together. In my father's house, in my father's house are many mansions. Are many mansions. 
If it were not so, if it were not so I, would have told you, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, if somebody tells me that, trying to get in the mind of the apostles a little bit, I might say something to myself, uh-oh, he's leaving. He's deserting us. He's going someplace. Now, here they, he uses the usual form that is done for an Israeli marriage. When they're espoused, after they change, exchange vows, then the husband-to-be usually leaves and prepares the dwelling place and then comes back and gets his bride. So the Lord is using what was typically available in this society at that time to make a demonstration to them. And he has to back it up. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. I think the Lord knows that they're going to have doubts. So first, he uses the typical society progression of the marriage so that something they're familiar with, that the husband will leave, prepare a place, and come back. And then he applies it to himself. And he says, I'm going to do the same thing with you. But be confident. He says, I will go and prepare a place for you. I will come again. Now, we know after the resurrection that he's talking about going to his father's house in heaven and coming back. But I want you to be in a pre-resurrection mindset here. The apostles don't know that. But it has been preached to them dozens of times, especially in chapter 3 of John, 3.3, 3.13, So they should know this or at least have acquaintance with it. But to correctly understand this verse and, and the meaning and the effect it will have on the apostles, you have to have a pre-resurrection mindset. Okay, I just got the two-second, two-minute warning. So let's stop there and apply it to our own lives. How do you react when you know your life is about to be turned upside down? That you're going to go through some hardships and it's not going to be fun. Do you really, really believe that God has your life in his hands and under his control, or do you freak out? I'm a freak guy. I don't like my life being changed. 
I'm got a nice, comfortable, middle-class life here in Oklahoma. I don't want anything coming along to tip it upside down. So when somebody tells me, don't worry, I worry. When somebody tells me, hey, they're leaving, but they're coming back, they're going to help me out, I think to myself, well, that may not be true. So the apostles, what's going to happen to them? We all know what will happen. Judas will betray him. Peter will deny him three times. The rest of the apostles are overcome with fear will go into hiding. And this will go on for four days, the day of the crucifixion and the three days till the resurrection. And what happens when they come out the other side? What were fearful, unbelieving men who did not believe in the power of God will become champions for God. So when you go through hard times or disruptions in your life, it may not be as bad as you think. It may actually be a preparation for future servants, which you would not be able to accomplish if you had not gone through it. So I'm only one quarter of the way through. We've ran out of time, but we'll finish this up on another day. Thank you very much, and I hope that I gave you a different perspective on 14. One and two. Thank you, Brother Tom. I think we're going to definitely have to finish that message up sometime soon. Uh, so thank you very much, uh, John chapter 14. That is a good thought. And uh, I know a lot of people uh, tonight are troubled. And uh, the message that the Lord gives us is, let not your heart be troubled. Um, you believe in God. Believe also in me. And then we have the promise that he has, that he's preparing a place for us, and that he promises to come back for us, and uh, that, is, that is tremendous. So thank you for that reminder tonight, and uh, some of the other thoughts as well. Um, let's go ahead and sing one more song as we kind of continue on with our service. Um, he's Able, um, page 744 in your songbook. I think we also have the words up as well, and uh, we'll go ahead and uh, sing this song, and as they're preparing for that... Uh, Brother Dan, why don't you go ahead and make your way on up here. I appreciate uh, the Armstrongs and their family, and uh, Brother Dan's been just a source of encouragement and a blessing, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing from him. So as soon as this song is over, you're up.
Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, verse 9, sorry, verse 9. One of my favorite verses here. The uh, Bible says, And let us not be weary in well doing, for in due season we, will, we shall reap if we faint not. And verse 10, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Uh, this message is titled, Don't Get Weary. Now, everyone, before I continue, let me apologize in advance if I seem a little bit flustered because um, the idea of public speaking has always been a bit uh, terrifying to me. So uh, if my hands are shaking and I'm a little flustered and I have this horrible thing where I can't remember what point I was going to... What was I saying? <laughs> oh, no, sorry. Um, seriously, the Lord never asked that we be good at what we do, just willing, Right? All right, and uh, so back to the Galatians. Uh, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And like unto it, Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, verse 13, But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Like I said, this is one of my favorite verses, one of those verses that can really keep us going. I think about this verse almost instantly. I think of a time about seven years ago where um, we were preparing for a Christmas cantata, and uh, I was tasked with preparing this big stage type thing. They had big wooden pillars, and we were cutting um, corrugated tin roof for it. And if you ever cut corrugated uh, metal roofing before, you know it's, uh, it's sharp. I don't know if you know it or not. So I was cutting along with a pair of tin snips, so scooting forward, cutting, scooting forward, cutting, scooting forward. And then I realized I had scooted a little bit too far forward. And I, the corner of one of these pieces jabbed into my, uh, my leg deep, and so I backed myself out of it, covered it immediately, and realized I was, in, I was in some trouble right then. So I hauled my way off the stage of church and ran to the bathroom. I yelled for Lindsay, who was there. And I said, Lindsay, I need some help. And, you know, her, her response to Lindsay, I need some help is freak out time, right? It's freak out time. And um, so she came and asked me, what's wrong? And, you know, um, in hindsight, you say hindsight is twenty twenty. I'm going to do this joke now. Hindsight is 2020. I bet we're glad that 2020 is in our hindsight now, right? <laughs> but in hindsight, not eating anything all day long and um, working and uh, cutting myself very badly was probably a bad combination of things to do at that time. 
So I was in the bathroom, and I asked Lindsay to get me a Band-Aid. I said, I need, I need some Band-Aids. And then she's like, Band-Aids? And I was like, yeah. So she, she brought me some. And um, you know this feeling when you uh, are getting faint, like everything starts coming slowly darker and darker to a point? I was like, OK, Lindsay, don't freak out, but I'm, I think I might faint. And if you say, don't freak out, I think I might faint to my wife. You know what happened? She freaked out. I was like, I don't know what the deal is. I say, like, how can I help? I'm like, well, I haven't eaten anything today. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of weak right now. She's like, hold on a second. Don't faint. Just s- sit down. She brought me a chair, and she ran away. And next thing I know, I was kind of like, kind of woozy a little bit. And that's like, never happened to me before. I never, never fainted before, and that was a new experience for me. All of a sudden, Lindsay comes back running toward me and shoves a handful of crackers in my mouth. Like, literally shoves them in there. I'm like... Because I went, I went to reach for him, I couldn't move my arms. So she just ah, straight in there, and uh, I chewed them. Like, I was feeling super faint. Chewed them, swallowed them, and, and I felt better. Almost, almost immediately, I was able to like kind of gain a sense of, of reality. And then she went off, got some butterfly band aids, and I bandaged myself up and kept on working. I had to finish the thing, right? So um, it worked out well. I mean, all that worked out fine. Praise God. The stage was finished. Our cantata went on, and we had visitors. My parents were there. They all heard the gospel. So it was a huge blessing. But things don't always go so well. That could have easily been a story with a different ending completely. If it had, would I have quit? As a pastor friend I know once said, tragedy eventually strikes every life. You're going to get down. It's so true. I've been there. My family's been there. We all get tired. We all get weary. But I'm not going to get into some of the things that I think of when I look for valleys in my life. There have been lots. But I do have some questions to ask you. Who among us, just in our church family, gets the most weary or discouraged? Who needs help? What's stopping us from doing what we should Are we too busy to do what God asks us to do? Is there anything that we can do to help them? Now, those are some poignant questions. Each one of them could probably have an entire sermon. I'm not a preacher, so I'll save that for pastor. I'll just let you think about them. I'm going to focus on one. How can we avoid being weary? Because not being weary can help us do what we need to do when the time comes to do what we need to do. Well, first... I'm going to say right now, I took this, I stole this quote from a friend of mine who was preaching a message on joyfulness. First is get saved and know it. So the first part, get saved. Well, I think we all know that. You know, if we're all Christians here, that's awesome. I'm so thankful for my salvation. It completely changed me. And that's the first part of get saved. But what about the second part? And know it. What do you think that means? And I was thinking about that, and I don't think he, my friend meant only mentally to know you're saved to you know, have that knowledge and know that you're saved, but it also means to live it out. Because if we're saved, we all have the Holy Spirit. And what does the Spirit give us? We just went over this this year, guys. Come on. Galatians 5, 22, 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Specifically here... Um, among the others, the fruit of long-suffering. That isn't to say that as soon as we're saved, we're perfect saints. Far from it. We have to cultivate the Holy Spirit in each of us. 
We have to focus on it, listen to it, read our Bible. But we do get the fruits nonetheless. So how can we avoid being weary, get saved, and know it? It's one of those ways. Genesis 2.18 says, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make and help meet for him. And in Proverbs 18.22, Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Husbands, help your wife. If she's anything like my wife, she has a lot on her mind. Her plate is always full. Pick something that she doesn't like doing and be faithful to help her. Wives, help your husbands. Do you know what the greatest thing my amazing wife does for me? Encouragement. The last text on my phone is a text from my wife saying that she appreciates me and is praying for me tonight. So, praise God. And her encouragement, her smile, it means it means a lot. You can turn a wearisome day around. You know that saying, what comes around goes around? This is kind of a worldly saying, but in the Bible, we'll just go back two verses from where we're at. Verse, uh, verse 7 there. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So the Bible kind of says the same thing. I say it this way. You help your spouse, and they'll help you. So the second way we can avoid being weary is to help our spouse. But if you're not here and not married... Help your parents, help a friend, a fellow Christian. As a parent, I know I would do anything for my kids, unless I think it's a learning experience for them. Otherwise, they're on their own. But if they ask for help, I grant it, right? God mentions help 48 times in Psalms. How do I know that? Well, I counted them all. That's what I do. I count everything. I don't don't know. Um, I have problems. I drive down the road, and I see, like, uh, mailboxes, and I'll... Divide the numbers of the mailboxes by just different random numbers. I need help. It's true. But that's what I'm getting at. We all do. It's not just me. We all need help. It will ease our weariness. Help is mentioned 165 times in the entire Bible. I didn't count that one, though. I Googled it. But only four times in all the Gospels does someone actually ask Jesus for help. Two of them by the same person. Matthew 15, 25-28. Bible says, and... Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread, to cast it to the dogs. She said, Truth, Lord, that the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's tables. Their master's table. And then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. See, the lady whose daughter was grievously vexed with the devil asked Jesus for help. Then the father which brought his son. He had a demon that disciples couldn't cast out, if you remember. Mark 9, 21 through 23, it says, And he asked his father, how long, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oft times he hath cast him into the fire, into the waters, to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And Mark 9, 24, And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. See, the mother of the daughter and the father of this son knew where to turn. Who to ask for help? They came to the right source. When Jesus directed the man in the way he needed to go, what he needed? Faith. You know what Jesus did? He wholly cured that little girl. He wholly cured that little boy. Completely, utterly, our God doesn't do anything. Part way, he's faithful. 
And Luke 10, 40-42, But Martha was comforted about with much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You see, Jesus helped Martha, too. I think he gave her a new perspective. No one likes to hear their prayer answer is no. You're asking the wrong thing. But God knows what's best for us. Amen. And Luke 11, 9 through 10, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be answered, opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. See, of course, the last, in my opinion, the most important way we can avoid weariness is just to ask the God of creation for help. Pray. You want a saltine cracker to shove in your face that will keep you from fainting so you can carry on? 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly unto the, unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What are we doing all day? Can we work in prayer in our downtime? I know I could pray more. It's so easy to get caught up in the troubles of our lives and despair, but Psalm 121.2 says, My help cometh from the Lord, and which made heaven and earth. So if you faint not and equip yourself and have the help you need, what does God ask us to do? Well, he has tasked us the most important job there is, letting others know about Jesus. So let's not be weary in well-doing. Let's get out there and tell other people about Jesus. Let's do our part. So in order to faint not, three things that can help. Get saved. Know it. Help your spouse or anybody else, especially a fellow Christian in need, and pray. God can answer if you don't ask. Pastor. Your heart be troubled and to faint not. So uh, you got to stay with the not theme, Brother Rick. And uh, <laughs> so... If you could make sure he gets that microphone, um, that'd be a blessing, Brother Dan. Thank you for that message. And uh, it is easy to get weary in well-doing. And uh, not everybody in this world is well-doing. And so for those of us who are trying to do that, it can get tiring. And uh, those are good thoughts, good ways to help us keep going. And uh, thank you for that message. Uh, let's go ahead and, uh, Brother Rick, if you want to make your way on up here, and uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, sing one more song. Uh, together tonight as we uh, transition into this next uh, message. So this next song is, uh, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. This is taken from Psalm 89. Is that right? Psalm 89. And uh, let's go ahead and sing this together. And uh, Brother Rick is going to come and uh, preach for us. I appreciate his faithfulness and his love for the Lord and his love for this church. And uh, he's going to come share uh, God's word with us in just a moment. Let's sing together. Let's all stand for this one right quick.
Well, I thought about paying Joel $5 to start speaking in tongues and running up and down the aisles to get me out of this, but I guess it probably would not have worked either. So, uh, in your Bibles, if you turn to Psalms 51, uh, this psalm is about David and Bathsheba. And we know the story about what happened with David and Bathsheba, but uh, I'll give you a few seconds or a few minutes to get there, a minute or so. But As you're turning there, we know that the prophet Nathan came to David and, and talked to him. So if there's a title for, for this, I wouldn't call it a sermon by far, but if there's a title, it would be The Truth Be Told. If you look in verse 1, it says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and have done this evil in thy sight, thou, that thou might, mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in inequity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desiredest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine inequities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from the blood-guiltness of God, O, o God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. We can stop there. We see that David, though, he came to the Lord. But David, how he got in this trouble, though, he was derelict in his duties from the get-go. When David seen Bathsheba, he wasn't even supposed to be there. He was supposed to be at battle. And sometimes we as Christians were derelict too, and that leads us to sins. The Lord laid upon my heart uh, a point of dereliction in my, that is I, I, don't pre- I don't prepare myself to come and receive the word when I come to church sometimes. I just come. And, you know, one question I, you know, it's just that I ask is, do you prepare yourself when you come to hear the word? You know, we should prepare because as Nathan presented the truth to David, pastor presents the truth to us. You know, um, the prophet Nathan, he came to David and he told him the truth and he said, thou art the man. However, before Nathan presented this, and that was point one was dereliction, dereliction, our dereliction, right? David's dereliction. Our dereliction is not preparing. Point two is the presentation. I told you that the prophet Nathan, he came and told David. But However, before he presented David with the truth, he told him a story. He told him a story about the rich man and the lamb and how the rich man stole the lamb from the poor man just so he could feed one of his guests. Now, when David heard the truth, 
he immediately repented. So that tells me that David still had fellowship with the Lord because he received that truth right away and he repented. He immediately repented. He wasn't caught up in the presentation though. His spirit was broken and he sought repentance. You know, pastor tells us the truth when he preaches the word. You know, sometimes we get caught up in the presentation. I get caught up in the presentations, you know. I say sometimes, and this is me, I speak for myself. I don't speak for anybody else. But I say, why did he say it like that? Or why do you, why do you, you know, um, what did he mean by that? You know, was he talking to me? These are things that I ask myself sometimes. You know, when you sit there and you hear the things and, you know, um, well, we get caught up in the presentation. But Why? Why aren't we listening just to the truth? The truth, like David heard, thou art the man. He didn't go back and listen to the story. I think he forgot all about the, the presentation about the lamb and the rich man. He went right to the point about his own guilt and what he had done. And sometimes we lose the fact about the truth. And the truth is when it's being presented to us. We worry more about the presentation or how it was said to us or what's being spoken and, and how it's being said and about, then about really what's, what we should be receiving, and that's the message. But if we also, and then I go on to point three. But there's joy, though, right? Because when David, when he fell down and he, he went, he sought repentance, right? And that's what, you know, again, we should, David wasn't stiff-necked. He didn't make excuses. He could have made a million excuses. He could have said, you know, I didn't go out to, to the battle because, you know, I was tired or, and, you know, I stayed home and she shouldn't have went out there and took that bath in front of me or whatever else. And he could have made a whole bunch of different excuses. He didn't, though. He went right to the fact that he had made that sin. It was his fault. He didn't point to anybody else. And as we go back and we look at verses 7 through 12 right there, we talk about the joy and the restoration, right? In verse 7, it says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be, made, I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. That's what we should be looking for, right? When we hear the message of truth, we should want that restoration. We should want to be cleansed. It says, Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. We know we've done wrong. I mean, that's the thing. Me, I'm talking for myself. I know, you know, when I come in here, I, I, I just can remember back about, Pastor, you preached the messages back in about the fruits of the Spirit, right? And I, I didn't prepare myself for those messages. And I think about, what did I miss when I was more worried about the presentation? Or was he really talking to me through some of that stuff? Was, it, was I not dealing with the stuff that I should have been dealing with? because I was more worried about the presentation. David wasn't worried about that presentation, right? He's saying, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. He knew he'd sinned. He knew that he had to get that fellowship restored. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my inequities. Forgive me, right? Forgive me. That's what we want. We want that forgiveness. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew thy right spirit within me. We got to forget about the presentation, and we got to realize that, you know what, we got to get that truth. And that's what, you know what, the truth will make us free, right? It will make us free. 
and, you know, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me, right? We want to be filled with that Holy Spirit. We want the Holy Spirit to lead us, and we want us to set us right back on the path that we should be on. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. And I think that goes back with what the Brother Dan was talking about. We won't be weary if we got that right there. We're back on that path. So as I was going through this, I was thinking about that. We should want the same thing that David wanted. He wanted restoration. He wanted forgiveness. He wanted to be back in that fellowship. But he didn't get hung up on the presentation that Nathan brought to him because he could have. And he could have got distraught. He could have had Nathan killed. He was the king. You know, I think that might come back to don't kill the messenger, right? You come back to that. We get a lot of our sayings that we have out there from the Bible. We don't realize that. But the point of it is, is that sometimes we just get caught up in the, in the presentation. Being in the military at this dereliction, that hit me hard when I was thinking about this. And Pastor, when he called me and asked me to talk about it, I didn't, I didn't have anything to talk about. In fact, I hate, I'm with Brother Dan, public speaking. If you're talking about me, motivate some, some you know, sailors, get ready to go do something. And, I've been, and we've been in some predicaments we need to get through. I can do that. You know, get somebody to go out and do something. But when you ask me to start dealing with me, I'm sorry, my heart, you know, that's when you start to get, you gotta get in there and start dealing with this stuff. And, you know, but dealing with myself. And I'll tell you right now, sometimes I have to deal with the presentation. And I get caught up in that because, you know, it's just who I am. And I, I think about things and how I've been trained and how you look at and you... And you focus on that stuff. But for me, I need to stop focusing on that and start paying attention more about the truth and what God's message is. And with that, Pastor, that's all I have.